What do you think of Christians and Christianity? I don't know that I want to hear what I'm going to say, and I don't think you're going to like what I'm going to say next. But this is what the man on the street said. They are hypocritical, judgmental, harsh, phony, insensitive, bigoted, and exclusive. Now, I got to tell you that some of those are absolutely correct. Because we are, we're saying we know there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to live right. I get that. The world sees that in a very different way than we do. They see that as, who do you think you are? But with that as a background, what I'm going to hopefully encourage you and help you to have credibility. Because I think over this past year in COVID, Christians have lost some credibility because we've gotten our focus wrong uh, in so many ways. And I have battled this over and over. Uh, it, it continues. Um, I said it uh, Christmas Eve is the first questions that came to me when COVID. Is this the end of the world? I haven't gotten that one for a long time now. I haven't gotten that one for over half a year. Now it's about government. It's about this. It's about masks. It's about this. It's about everything else. But I believe that we have a calling to credibility that is way above anything that's a part of this earth, government or otherwise, COVID or otherwise. We need to live at a different standard, at a different level, and it's going to be tested. It is going to be challenged now more than ever. In fact, as I believe this is probably the most challenging time to be a Christian. You know what? We've lost touch with each other. Uh, all kinds of stuff has happened over this past uh, year, or it's not even a year. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it tells us something, and I've used this before. For you were called to in freedom, brethren... Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. That's one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what it says. And it's not even about COVID. He says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. I'm going to emphasize a few of them as I go through. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Emdentees, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I warn you about these things. But then he goes on to say, that's the negative side of it. He goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit, that is what is produced by the Spirit or should be being produced by the Spirit in the life of a believer are these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, against these things there is no law. 
those who belong to Jesus Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. There is a huge disconnect, a big difference between what we say we believe and what we actually believe. And I'm going to put my hand up first. I don't want you to put your hand up. But the truth of the matter is, we say we believe that we have the truth and we believe we know we're going to heaven and our lives have been completely changed and we're living above the world. And then we go around and live like the world. And it, it's, it's terrible. But uh, <clears throat> so what we describe ourselves as and how the world sees us are two vastly different things. And if we're going to have an impact in the coming year, those two better get a little bit closer than they have in the past. In fact, is we have a marketing problem, we have a sales force problem. We advertise one thing and we're actually selling something else. Think about that. Uh, And we're saying one thing and we're showing the world something completely different. That is not acceptable. Our product, if you want to look at it from a business point of view, is the gospel, the good news. Do we live like we have the good news? Uh, We say it saves us. It gives us a new kind of life. It has an eternal hope. It has given us something that the world doesn't have. And then we try to convince others, but we don't live it. I'll tell you what, if you don't live it, you're not going to convince very many people. You need to have a life. We need to have a life that's very different. You cannot convince others if you don't buy the product and you don't believe in the product yourself. It's just the way it is. Now, we're not in a business. But when you look at it that way, it does fit. In fact is, I've already mentioned this. This is the third time I'm using this passage this year. It seemed like the Lord just kept bringing me back to this passage. Titus chapter 2. We talked about the first appearing and the second appearing. But in between, I just mentioned this last week in some of the sermons. I don't think I mentioned all of them. But verse 12 is sandwiched between the first and second coming. That's where we live. That's the one we live today. Here's what it says instructing us to deny ungodliness. That means that we are adoring, worshiping, or putting anything else in the place of God. So if our focus is wrong, all the rest of this is going to be wrong also. It says, so we're to deny ungodliness. We better keep our focus, our worship, on Jesus Christ and on God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And then teaching us to deny worldly desires. It's interesting that word desires is that kind of thing that makes us breathe hard. That's a a kind of a root way back in there. It's like something that catches your breath. You know, it's like, wow, one of those kinds of things. The world's got them all. They're shiny. They're new. They're everything you can think of. They look good. They really do look good. Catches your breath. Takes your breath away. He says, you need to deny those things. Those are not the things that portray to the world and show that your life has been changed. And then to live sensibly. You know my word of the year, and I can use it one more time, is the word reasonable or reasonableness. 
Now, the definition of sensible is not reasonableness. That's a little bit different. But it includes it because reasonable, I mean, sensibly uh, is the word to be save your mind, to think correctly, soberly, use your brains for what God gave them to you so that you live in a way that's self-controlled. You use your mind properly. God gave us a mind. He expects us to use it just like he gave us a body. He expects us to use it. Whatever God has given us, he expects us to use and he expects us to use our mind correctly. And somebody sent me something that was totally bogus and uh, I looked it up, and it's like, this is not true. By the way, this year has been a banner year for stuff that's not true going out. And I'm not talking politically. I'm talking about every possible way. It's just the rumor mill just, you know, the Internet has made it possible that in, you know, about 10 minutes, a bad story, one that's totally not true, can spread around the world. You know, we need to use our mind. And not just accept things. We need to make sure we know what we're talking about. And then it says to live righteously. Living according to God's standard. Not the world's standard. The world's standard, maybe at one time, and I don't think it ever really was this way, but maybe at one time in the United States we had a Judeo-Christian ethic. And you could kind of go with the flow and not be too far off. That is no longer true at all. I don't know that it was ever true but it's less true now if it ever was true. But we need to live a standard that is very different. And why do we do that? Because we know we answer, because Christ is coming back. We need to get serious about living for Christ. We need to get serious about presenting the gospel, the good news. And if the good news is spread by people who are living bad lives, it does not work. So that brings me to where we're going. If we want to get serious about ministry, if we want to get serious about having an impact uh, for our culture, uh, we need to start somewhere. And the coming year, I'm going to give you a few things that I believe. Probably most of you sitting here already do most of these things. It's simply a challenge and simply an encouragement to continue on if you're already doing them, and if you're not, to get on the ball and go forward with that. The first one, it's not going to surprise you. Normally, this is a sermon about going through the Bible, uh, reading the Bible every day, having devotions every day. Well, that's where I started out. And uh, about uh, Tuesday evening, I mean, Tuesday afternoon, about 3.30, I totally changed my sermon. I'd been working on it for a week or more, and I totally changed it to this one. Uh, First of all, If you're going to have an impact on the world, you need to read and study your Bible. Uh, I got a bunch of research here, so I don't normally do this, but I will. 40% of people that claim to be Christians or go to church do not read their Bible, period. If they do, it's once a month, rarely or never, and much less study their Bible. Here's the book. Here is the book that tells us how to be right with God tells us about our future, tells us how to live, gives us instruction for every part of life. And if we neglect it, 
why in the world would anyone else want to look into the Bible if we don't read it ourselves? We need to uh, do that. In fact, there is a verse that all of you probably already know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. This is uh, to Timothy, and it was his mother and grandmother who taught him the truth. Peter had that book up here, you know, teaching the next generation. Uh, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, that would be the Old Testament, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed, God-spoken, and profitable. You see, if you're going to have an impact, you're going to have a product that needs to be profitable, or you're not going to be in business. (laughs) The church, sometimes I'm wondering if they're in business. What's it profitable for? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I might be a little bit weird, but when I was in junior high, I would go to the library and check books out. I am not a bookworm. You know what kind of books I would check out? Engine manuals. (laughs) Who does that? But you know what? Um... I had only ever probably torn apart two engines in my life at that point, if that. Uh, but I would read these, and I would, I could remember that kind of stuff. I can't remember, ask my wife, I can't remember anything. But I can remember that kind of stuff. You want to know the specifications on a Kohler engine? I can tell you what they are, and I don't have to have anything in front of me. Here's what I know. I still do those kinds of things. I fix people's things. But you know what? I know the principles. You know why? Because back in junior high, I read books. I know the principles of how an engine works and how how it's supposed to um, operate. And then I can reprove. I can go, yeah, because it's happened as soon as the snow started flying, everybody brought their uh, snowblowers. I'm like, I know what's wrong with the snowblower. It has old gas in it. Your carburetor's gooked up. I was not wrong in every case. You know why? Because I could say, this is the correction. And then I could say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And when they come back to get it, I said, here's what I did. And uh, your gas was really bad. Your carburetor was gooked up. I cleaned it all up and it fires up and runs like it's supposed to. You know, that's the correction. And then the training in righteousness. And I've been doing this for years. I'm like, if you want to save yourself some money and save me some grief of working on your piece of equipment every year. Do this, you know, either run the gas out, put some stuff in it or run it when you're mowing your grass, when it's a snowblower to keep it going. You know what? It's the training. And and that's what we're supposed to do. If we don't know the principles and we don't know the book, how in the world can you live your life? And how in the world can you help somebody else? If you don't know what's going on, you're not going to be able to have a ministry. And so if you don't get into the book, you won't be able to help other people. And there's another one. And it doesn't mention Scripture in the next verse. But it does say this. Finally, brethren, this is Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, there is no book that's truer. 
whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these. Mull them over in your mind. Just turn them over in your mind. And if you don't get into the Word of God, you have nothing to turn around except the horrible things that happened around us. And you will turn something over in your mind. I challenge you every morning, every evening, or whenever it is that works for you, that you put something in your mind that you can maul over that's positive, that will help you, that will teach, correct, reprove, or equip you to live the Christian life. Nothing is more true. need to cultivate a prayer life. I don't know about you, but uh, it says that 37% of people that are church-going, and I, I, statistics really bug me, but uh, about a third of people that go to church say, we're not really sure that prayer even matters. That's the second link. Now, I am not the best communicator in the world, but uh, my wife and I, uh, we talk every day about who knows what. It can be anything. Right now, the current thing is uh, we've had a waterbed for 25 years, something like that, and that dumb thing must permeate water out, so we need to get a new bed. You know what? We've been talking about what are we going to do, where are we going to go, and we've made plans. You know what? If you're going to have a relationship, you talk to the person, right? That's what you do. We make plans and, you know, research and and put that stuff together. Well, guess what? If you're going to have a relationship with God, you're going to talk to him. And you're also going to listen. Because when you pray, I've never had God talk out loud to me. But I'll tell you what, when you're praying, you go, oh, yeah, I get it. It happens when I'm studying. It happens when I'm working in the shop. It happens when I'm, it doesn't matter what it is. You pray about it and God just He leads, guides, teaches, directs, uh, never contradicts the word of God. I know that. Uh, But he does. When you want a relationship, the one thing that has to happen is you have to have a communication, a back and forth. And that's prayer for us. This past year, I've heard people rant, rave, conspiracy theories, worry, anxiety, you name it. I've heard it, but I don't hear them telling me, and I really earnestly spend time every day praying about this COVID stuff, but they will tell you what the bad news was, what they think the good news is going to be, and go around in circles and around in circles and around in circles. You know what? I think if we prayed a little bit more, a lot more, prayed, maybe we would have an impact on society. Maybe we would have some credibility. It says, be anxious for nothing. Do not, the word anxiety, if you take it back, it means distracted. Do not allow anything to distract you. Anything that distracts you, bring it by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to God. Yeah, COVID will do that for you. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to think? What should my attitude be? Lord, 
My attitude reeks, Lord. I need help. You know what? Anything that gets us anxious, anything that causes us to worry. King James says, a care. A care is something that pulls you down, distracts you, pulls you away. Any of those things, all three of those uh, translations are great. They just hit a different aspect of it. But whatever makes you anxious, whatever distracts you, whatever causes you to worry, whatever causes you care, the cares of this world, those are the things you need to come before the Lord. And if you do, He is the one that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Sets up a perimeter, guards us. We need that. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, rejoice always. We'll come back to that one again. Pray without ceasing. That simply means as you need to. And in everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you want to know what God's will for the future is, uh, give thanks. And when you thank God, you're praying. You're talking to Him and thanking Him for what's going on. Start showing up. It's interesting that um, according to this, the people that claim to go to church, only 20% of the people that claim to be Christians or have some affiliation with church actually show on up on any given Sunday. I don't think that's true at Garden Chapel, but the truth is around the world, church attendance in the past couple of years has gone down, just right across the board. You know what? If we don't fellowship with each other, and we don't encourage each other, uh, we're in big trouble. You say, yeah, but how does that impact other people? The answer is, if you show up, by the way, I'm telling you this right now, personal, this person, when you show up, you're an encouragement to me whether you even said anything to me. And you know what? If I show up, I hope I'm an encouragement to you. I see people at Garden Chapel, and, and uh, we, we kind of blast ourselves because we stand around and talk. Sounds like a chicken house in here sometimes and getting people's attention. You know what? If I ever walk in here and it's quiet, I'm going to turn and run because something is drastically wrong. You know what? The, getting together with other brothers and sisters in Christ is important. And when times are tough, it's more important. That's what we do. When, when times are tough, we call our best friend or we call whoever that we trust and confide in. Happens all the time when you're a pastor. People find a rough spot. And what do they do? It's like, okay, I've talked around. I need somebody that's just going to tell me what, what I need to hear. Um, and Pastor Paul gets a call. You know what? That's totally fine with me. Some of them are like, oh, that's no big deal. I never tell them that. And others are a really big deal. It doesn't matter. We need each other. We need that fellowship. And so when we get together, not only do we fellowship with each other by talking and interacting and greeting and all those kinds of things, but we exercise our spiritual gifts. So if you come here, everybody expects me to exercise my spiritual gifts preaching, teaching, those kinds of things. On the other hand, I propose to you that that is not a one-sided thing. That whatever gifts God has given you, He expects you to use them when you're with other Christians. 
Whatever that gift is. That's not my sermon this morning. My sermon this morning is what you have, God expects you to use for the good of other people. And that includes Christians when we fellowship together, but it also includes the world. Especially, for example, if you have the gift of evangelism. God expects you to use that. If you have the gift of showing mercy, people need to see that. And if you have the gift of teaching, they need to see that uh, what you teach, you really believe, and that in a very tactful manner, you teach other people all the time. But we, we encourage each other to use those gifts. The Apostle Paul, same passage we've been looking at in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. This is what Paul said. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Seen in me. You don't get that one by yourself. There's no problem with studying on your own and those kinds of things. Praying on your own. But when you see other people praying, see other people using their spiritual gifts, that encourages each other. We need that. And he says, and practice those things. And the God of peace will be with you. When we get together, we are to do that. From the very beginning of the church, Acts chapter 2, it's clear they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, breaking of bread. You don't break bread by yourself. That is a meal. That's getting together. To prayer. And they kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And God was adding to their number. That is not a, I'm the lone ranger. That is, we're together in this whole thing. And then the classic passage, and I'm going to use it twice here, because it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. Not an option. He says, if you are going to encourage somebody or stimulate. Stimulate is the word for poke. Poke somebody in the right direction. That's a goad to get the oxen to move forward. I'm telling you, we don't usually do that. It's like, oh, I want to go there and I don't want anybody to poke me. Well, sometimes I need poked. Sometimes you need poked. We need that. And part of that comes from gathering together. It's a tough one. We don't practice that very often. We need to be an example to our family in our marriage. The world needs to see that basic building block of all society and of every church, the family. The family, marriage is under attack. I don't care if it's the the gender identity stuff or the sexual orientation or the transgender or the same-sex marriage. You name any one of those and abortion fits in there. That's another sermon in itself. But when you put all these together, the world and everyone around you needs to see a strong family. They need to see a husband and wife loving each other and uh, disciplining their kids, loving their kids, training their kids, you know, being an example. 
whenever you do that, again, it requires us to be in community with other people. I found something very interesting. I looked this up. I don't even know what GLAD. That's G-L-A-A-D. It's a totally uh, off-the-wall organization. But GLAD, uh, this is a quote from their website. GLAD rewrite, yeah, let me start over again. Sorry, hang on a second. (coughs) GLAD rewrites the script for the LGBTQ acceptance. As a dynamic media force, GLAD tackles tough issues to shape the narrative and provoke dialogue that leads to cultural change. Folks, if you do not think that marriage and family is under attack, do whatever you need to do to get yourself oriented and find out what they Look up Planned Parenthood, look up GLAD, look up any of those kinds of organizations and find out what they're teaching. Find out what they are doing. And here, they make it clear, we are here to rewrite the narrative. That narrative is 100% the opposite of what the Bible teaches. And if we don't give a positive example to the world and to each other with our families and our marriages... Uh, in this coming year, we're going to fall apart even more because I'll guarantee you there will not be a void. The void will absolutely be filled by something. Any void gets filled. Ephesians chapter 5 and going into 6 makes that clear. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives are to submit to their husbands in the same way they submit to Christ. Children are to obey and honor their parents. And fathers are to discipline and teach their children, but not provoke them to anger. You see, there is, and and the Apostle Paul had no problem taking a big chunk of one book of Scripture, and there's plenty of other places too, to say, hey, this is important stuff. And if we're going to have credibility in the society around us in the year to come, they need to see strong families and marriages. Without a doubt. We need to become better neighbors. I already read Galatians chapter 5. But we worry about the changing the world. But unless you're there to change your relationship with your neighbor, why care about the world? Just because you go further away doesn't make it better. We need to be the neighbors that God wants us to be. I don't know what that means for you. I know what that means for me. I think I do. I know what it means for my wife because I see what she does also. Uh, I don't go and say, hey, would you like your snow removed? Uh, By the way, you'd have to pry my skid loader out of my cold, clammy hands for me to get rid of that thing. (laughs) Because I can... Zip that stuff out and, you know, when they push it into the dry wagon, one, two scoops and it's done. You know what? I'm not asking for anything. I want to be the kind of neighbor that people go, hey, they're a good neighbor. You know, and if I have the opportunity to talk to them, I've, I've gotten a platform to be able to have a good reputation. We need absolutely be the neighbor that God wants us to be. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, 
It says, do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Notice, if you're going to be a good neighbor, there's a sacrifice involved. There's something that is required of me. It takes my time, my energy, my resources, whatever it happens to be. It takes that. We need to be serious about giving. This past year has been tough on churches. Praise the Lord. Garden Chapel, I, 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 I want to compliment you. You have continued to give. We're, we're in the black. A lot of churches aren't. A lot of Christian organizations aren't. Praise the Lord. Thank you. But you know what? Only 10% of the, the people that claim to be Christians give at least 10%. And by the way, the Bible does not teach tithing in the New Testament. It teaches giving as God has prospered you. In other words, the more God gives you, the more you give. But uh, a lot of people uh, just like, you know what? I want this for me. If we're going to have credibility, we have to put our money where our mouth is. That's what the rest of the world does. If they say vacation is important to me, they spend money on vacation. If they say house is really important to me, they spend money on a house. We usually have all the time and money we need for the things that are really important. And if our reputation, our credibility, our gospel message, the word of God is important, we will put our money where our mouth is. What we say is important, we will support. The Apostle Paul, talking to the Philippians, he said, You have shared with me in my affliction. The Apostle Paul was always having problems. And he said in chapter 4, verse 16, For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. In other words, we look and we see what that need is, and we give toward that need. Right now, we have a Christmas project. You know, I already looked. I only have like one week's worth of looking at that. But you've obviously already responded. And I encourage you, if something's important, you will put forth the resources that are required to make it look credible. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. This is one that probably I've struggled with uh, myself, and I believe a lot of other people have too is we deal with principle, not politics. We use our rights and privileges as citizens to vote and make our, our um, ideas known and influence. and you know. But that's not our highest calling. Our highest calling is a citizenship which we have in heaven. We need to make sure that we do not mix up the gospel with party politics, or any kind of politics for that matter. We need to make sure that we live above that. Those things are real. They're real. And I believe we need to be an influence everywhere we go in every situation. No doubt about that. So I'm not talking anti that. I'm just saying, what is the priority? And if we're going to have credibility as Christians, we have to realize that this down here is, is too low. Our credibility is up here. It's the gospel, it's the truth, it's the Bible that has to be the highest priority. And so, uh, if our goal, if we say our goal as Christians is to prepare people to have a relationship with God, to worship God, to be prepared for heaven, and as we started this sermon, 
to live godly and righteously in this world, we need to make sure that we keep the main things the main things and not get bogged down. Do you get involved in those things? You absolutely do. If you don't, I believe you're neglecting what God has given you the privilege of being a part of. But you need to make sure that you keep the level much higher. Our level is above that. In fact is, in the time of the Apostle Paul and the time of Jesus Christ, the world was not a fun place to live in. But here's what he said to the Thessalonian Christians. He said, uh, it, and also in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Their faith, their living out their Christian life was above and beyond everything else. And people knew that. It wasn't that person's a Republican or a Democrat or they believe this or they believe that. No, it was above that. It was their faith in Jesus Christ was the thing that identified them to the world. This next one is the hardest one of all of them. (laughs) Because you can't grab it with your hand. You can't say, read the Bible or spend time praying or go help your neighbor shovel snow or, you know, help them out in some other way or go talk to them and encourage them. Because the next one's an attitude. We need to do whatever we do with joy. (laughs) Wow. If there's been joy missing in the Christian life, it's been this past year. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I'm going to end with this one. Is that if we're going to reflect the fruit of the Spirit, we read that when we started. If we're going to reflect that, it's got to be with some joy. I'll tell you what. The old saying is you, you draw more flies with honey than you do with crab apples is really it. And I'll tell you what, sometimes I've been a crab apple this year. You know what? I think some of you probably were too. It's so easy to do that one. You know what? We need to exhibit those traits of joy and love and peace. That reflects, that is what the spiritual life should be. That's the fruit we should produce. Joy. Yeah. Wow. You know the classic passage. So then, my beloved brethren, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Doesn't mean you have to work to keep your salvation. You just realize what you have, what God has given you, is such an awesome responsibility. It gets you to the point, it's like, I want to do my best. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You represent Christ in this world. Christ's credibility is dependent on you. Now, I know he's got credibility above all of us. But on a practical, everyday basis, Christ's credibility is seen in you. What you live is what people see. You can tell everybody about how great God is and what Christ has done and how the Holy Spirit works. But unless they see it in you, they're not going to believe it. They're not going to want it. 
And it goes on to say, do all things without grumbling or disputing. We usually stop there. But here's what it says following that. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. We don't normally quote those together, but that's exactly what it says. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We've been entrusted with the greatest thing any person could ever have. Salvation, the gospel, a a new life, and and an expectation for the future, an anticipation for the future. That's the word hope we used before. He says, live out God's will. Live out the work that God has for you. And do it without grumbling and disputing. Why? Because that is the proof. You will appear as lights to the world. Christianity's credibility has been tarnished not just this last year. It, It happens all the time. By the way, I'll put my hand up first. I've tarnished the credibility of Christ many times myself. I didn't do what I should do. I wasn't the light when I should have been the light. I was grumbling when I should have been praising the Lord or teaching or whatever else I should have been doing, helping. I become part of the problem instead of a part of the solution. I've done it too many times. But he says, I've made it possible that you, without grumbling and disputing, can be a light to the world and prove that you're children of God. I don't know what else to do. I hope it's an encouragement. And if you don't see it as an encouragement, I hope it's a challenge. I hope you don't just say, oh, Paul just kind of beat us over the head. I hope you don't see it that way because that's not my intent at all. Because I put myself in here and I'm going, I need to preach that sermon because I need to hear it. I've been over it numerous times, you know, studying and then going over it to get prepared. And I know I have to live that in front of everybody else. And I know you need to, too. Why? Because I said so? Nope. Because that's what the Word of God says. And we're equipped to do that, folks. We have that. We are the ones who bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace. And those things that reach out and people go, yeah, that's the real deal. They have credibility. Yeah, they are a light. Wow, this world is dark. It's dreary. They don't live that way. They live above that. Let's stand together. Father, what a joy it is to know that we don't have to live like the world. We don't have to be bogged down by the world. That we can live above the circumstances. That we indeed can represent you as your children. And that we can do it with the right attitude, without grumbling and disputing. We can do it with joy. Lord, I pray that we in the Word, we'd be in fellowship with you and with each other, that we would let the world know what our priority is in so many different ways. Just a few this morning to get us thinking in that direction. And I pray that I would be the one that leads in that direction. But I pray that all of us, would live that way as children of the light. And we would prove that we are indeed God's children.
Lord, thanks so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.